Dana Nachman is a documentarian who has covered subjects like wrongful convictions and dangerous chemicals. But for her latest film, she decided to take on one of our country's biggest secrets. How does Santa Claus deliver so many gifts to so many children? It turns out, he does it with the help of a secret team of elite professionals, America's postal workers. And those postal workers, in turn, get help from regular people like you and me. Nachman's film, Dear Santa, reveals that when a child, any child, writes a letter to Santa, Operation Santa Claus lets people adopt that letter and fulfill that child's wish, working closely with Santa Claus himself. You may have seen crazy theories on parenting blogs or Reddit about how Santa really works or even how there is no Santa, but no. Nachman takes you behind the scenes to show exactly how Santa does what he does and that it goes way beyond one man in a red suit. If you want to join Santa and the U.S. Postal Service on their secret mission, you can go to USPSOperationSanta.com. My name is Tim Malloy, and you're listening to Movie Maker Interviews. And now, here's the director of Dear Santa, Dana Nachman. Dana Nachman, welcome to Movie Maker Interviews. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. Congratulations on this film. I should start by saying I kind of put off watching it because I thought it was going to be really emotional. And I made it 14 minutes, and then my wife asked me what it was about. <laughs> and at that point, I completely melted down. And we pretty much both cried through the rest of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that must have been the plan, right? You must have known that was going to happen. <laughs> you know, I just obviously didn't know what 2020 was going to be like. Like, I always knew it was going to be um, poignant. But I think because of the year that we've had, Probably it was at 14 minutes rather than like 70 minutes in. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, so for people who don't know, can you explain what this film is about and what you brought, what brought you into it? Sure. So um, Dear Santa is about the hundreds of thousands of letters that get sent into Santa Claus each year to the United States Postal Service and about what happens to them. And um, I had never heard of this. I think a lot of people have never heard of it, which, you know, whenever I hear of something that's so amazing that was I never knew, I'm like, wait, that should be a film. Uh, and my mom had bought me a book um, about eight years ago that she found at the uh, post office in her town um, to read to my kids. And it was about the program. And every year I would read it and think, oh my gosh, this is such an amazing book, but it would be an even better film. And every year I would think, oh, I should, uh, I should call over to... Um, USPS, but oh, I can't call. It's December. They're busy. And so finally in 2018, after I had done two family-friendly films, Bat Kid Begins and Pick of the Litter, uh, and I was about ready to do a series for uh, the upcoming Disney Plus, I thought, okay, I have the family film credibility <laughs> at this point. I should just reach out to them. And so I said, listen, I know you're busy, but you know, I really want to showcase your program. Um, can we talk? And they wrote back right away and said yes. And then after several months, uh, they said uh, we, we came to an agreement and they gave me full access for last year. So the U.S. Postal Service actually runs this program with a lot of volunteers? Yep. Yeah. So um, in about 
108 years ago, uh, the Postmaster General then had a meeting with Santa Claus, and they talked about that um, that the letters come into USPS, and could they possibly help Santa um, fulfill them? And Santa said, yes, I need all the help I can get. And ever since then, the program's just been growing and growing. And does any taxpayer money go into it? No, I mean, there's nothing really that happens uh, with it other than the letters were going to come in anyway. Um, and then everything else is volunteer. And, and for many, many years, it was just USPS workers who would just take them on um, and work with them. And then now they allow all, uh, all of us to apply to be elves as well. One thing I love about it so much is that some of the people you profiled are sometimes recipients of charity and sometimes givers of charity. And it just shows how we're kind of all, it's like that Bill Withers song, Lean On Me. It, it's like sometimes you need help, sometimes you're giving help, I'm gonna get choked up again. Um, but I just thought you did a really beautiful job of showing that with the people you chose. How did you find them? Oh, thank you. I just got chills when you said that, Lean On Me. <laughs> um, yeah, it was interesting um, how we found them. So most of the people, uh, it was very, cumbersome process uh, once the letters came in. So most kids write their letters between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so the USPS actually um, has a section of those letters called special requests. And so those are, those are um, different unique letters that are not like Barbies or Legos or, or iPhones. Um, and those get set, sectioned off into a special folder. And so we always had access to that folder and we would click on the ones that we wanted. And then they would send an express mailer out to the parents of the letter writer because they couldn't give us their information. Mm. And say, hey, your, your kid's letter has caught the attention of documentary filmmaker Dana Nachman. If you want to hear about a film she's making about this, uh, email her or call her. So we were just like waiting by the phone and like we knew nothing else other than the content of the letter, right? So like in a typical movie that you might be casting for various reasons like geography or um, diverse characters or whatever, we, we were just like we didn't know who was who, right? We just knew what their, that their letter was compelling. So yeah. once uh, the parents would call me and they would say yes, then we'd say, oh, by the way, where do you live? And they would say, oh, in Grand Rapids or oh, in, in Tucson or wherever. And we would, our, our like my poor like production assistants who were like booking all of our travel was like, it, I mean, it was hectic, you know? So that was how we found all of the letters. And so um, other than that, we would just go to like last year and this year they won't have it because of COVID, but we went to, we hung out a lot in the New York Operation Santa off, um, post office and Chicago. And that's where those two cities had the, mo the biggest legacy programs is what they called them, where you could actually go in and read the letters. So we would just chill out in these places and meet people. Um, and then there were some other things that we wanted, like, um, like we had a scene in Chico, California um, of a lead elf there who was um, dealing with people who had lost their homes and everything during the forest fires. And the reason we had that was because we had a kickoff meeting at the United States Postal Service um, in October of last year. And at that meeting, um, they gave me a presentation about their, um, they have a FEMA-like operation around um, national disasters to help people get their like prescriptions and insurance documents and all that stuff. And when things like that happen, they set up this FEMA-like operation. And if it's around Christmas time, they also gave 
letter writing packets to the kids that are in shelters. So our plan was, I know, so cute. And so our plan was to focus on that. But that year, there actually, luckily, weren't any, any fires or natural disasters that happened during that time. But we had our heart set of that kind of a scene. So one of my production assistants went um, and just started going through all the Northern California post offices that, ha that were impacted by the fires the year before. And she found this amazing story in Chico. So that's how we got that. Those are obviously kids in a lot of need who've lost their homes and are totally dislocated. And they can send, send a letter to 321 Elves. I think it's 321 Elves Lane. You probably haven't memorized. It's a 123 Elf Road, North Pole 8888. <laughs> Not that I've written a lot of letters there. No, I'm just kidding. So how do kids learn about that address? I mean, I guess theoretically any kid could write a letter, right? Any kid could write a letter. And in all honesty, I mean, they like that to be the address because that's where Santa lives. But I think for the most part, if they get, if they just write Santa, it ends up also. And you know, a lot of kids write Santa North Pole. Um, so yeah, I think it, it kind of all suffices. But the main thing that, that they need to do is put their return address on it. Like that's the deal breaker because Santa can't find their house if it doesn't say it. <laughs> My one, I don't want this to sound like a cynical question, but you want to make sure that the kids who are most in need get their wishes answered. How do they sort of weed it out? I mean, if I'm a kid in Beverly Hills and I'm like, I want a toy that might sound, you know, not that drastic. Do they have some system to figure out who to prioritize? So not really. So, I mean, my philosophy on this is part of this is about need for sure, but part of it is about the magic of childhood too. So yeah. I, I'm okay with everybody getting there. <laughs> I mean, not that you asked me my opinion, but my opinion is I'm okay with everybody getting, getting the presents. But the way it works is um, the, the real problem is a lot like what we experienced making the movie is that a lot of kids write their, write their letters really late, which makes sense. You know, you're thinking about Christmas the week before Christmas, maybe. And, and the, the ones that get like last year, we noticed that. So around Thanksgiving or a little before Thanksgiving, there were more, um, there were more elves than there were letters that were in. So all of them, like sometimes we would look at the site and they'd all be gone. And so we'd be like, wait, we wanted to read them. And they were gone so fast we couldn't read them. And then when it gets closer, like then the balance kind of shifts and more and more letters come in. And then it's like elves have to keep up with that. So it's not like nobody tell, like it's kind of what resonates with you. If you apply to be an elf and Santa accepts you, you can then choose whichever one resonates with you. Like for some reason, like if a kid wrote something that really resonated with you and he wanted Legos you might just want to get that one because it's a lot these kids say different things that um, that really I mean resonate with different people so it's a matter of who gets chosen other than the elves get to pick which ones they do yeah I like, I, yeah I like the ones you chose and I like like sort of the the diversity of need because it sort of takes away any stigma from getting the gift and also the fact that uh, this guy just killed me. The guy who was part of this program as a recipient as a child and then started a not-for-profit as an adult so that he could give back. I mean, it really just does show that, you know, the next year, maybe you're in a position to give back. The year after that, I mean, this year, a lot of people who are in a great situation last year, obviously in a terrible situation this year. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And like, I love Damien's story. Like, that's an, like, that is an amazing, amazing story because it just shows like, and that's why I think the magic of childhood, like, even if he had asked for a Lego set when he was little, it's like how you feel from that, how you feel that somebody um, took the time, whether it's Santa, one of his elves, just a friend, anybody takes the time, like that resonates with you. It, it, it like, 
imprints on your heart, I think, and, and it makes a big impact down the road. So I, I do think that, yeah, those are amazing stories. And, and I love, I love to, to feel that. And I love what one of the, one of the women in the film said, which was, you know, it's not what you have that matters. It's what you do with what you have. And that really, to me, is what I saw as the nutshell of this whole program, because there's one scene that didn't even make the film where um, I was in this Cleveland, um, I don't know if you call it like a male sorting plant. And um, they all would wear like um, big earphones because it was so loud with all the machinery. And this one woman who worked there went around and said, hey guys, I have these, these letters. You want to adopt one? And they would all take one, two, three. And you knew that these weren't multimillionaires, right? That they were just taking, taking their, these letters um, as part just to, to give back. And I think that's what really resonated with me with this is like, if you just sent stickers and a candy cane, it would be, it couldn't pack as much of a punch for a kid as an iPhone, you know? And so, yeah, I think it's, it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how, sorry, I'm just getting my, getting oh, no my together. Um, <laughs> It's been such a tough year for postal workers too. I mean, the postal service getting sort of defunded, getting delayed, lots of strange things we'll probably only find out after years of hearings. Um, I think it's really nice that there's a movie that just shows that they're doing some heroic work here. I mean, we hear so much, people complain about their postal service all the time, but they're just giving a lot of extra time and a lot of extra effort to help kids. I think it was just a beautiful thing to, for it to come out now. Oh, I know. I mean, like sometimes you're just like, like people keep keep commenting on that. And I think it's amazing. I mean, I think this film would have been poignant any year it would have come out, but never more than this year. I mean, you know, the, when is when have you seen USPS in the news as much as, as this year? I mean, it's crazy. We were relying on them so much for our election, which isn't usual either. Um, there was so much happening in the political sphere, um, you know, but it was funny, like something I didn't know before was like, like last year, a study came out that said that USPS was like on one of the top trusted brands and loved brands in America. Um, it was like, a, I don't know if it was a Pew Research or something like that. And I, and I thought about that because it was, it was while I was making this. And, and I was like, it is true. Like we all have, like there's, it's this massive, massive, I think there's like more than 600,000 people that work there. It's a huge, organization, you know, and it touches all of us, which is so, you know, and it made me realize some good experiences I had had growing up with my postal carrier that I remember Pete coming every day, you know, and it's just such an ingrained part of our society that you almost forget as an adult, you know, and as the years go on. And so I was really fortunate for me to like, think back on that and be able to make a film about them, especially in a year where they needed some good, good vibes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we run a magazine, we have to send things out all the time, and we go to the local post office and check in, and they're, especially during during the pandemic, when they're exposed and they're probably in danger dealing with so many people, they're really just, they really are heroic, I mean, in the way they do their jobs. They're always doing what little they can to help you and make your life easier. Just good for you giving them some props. And by the way, there's a poster for your movie right when you walk in at my local post office. Oh, really? <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I knew they were sending them out, but the one by my house, I didn't see it, but then the one like down the street, like downtown my my town, the um, trailer's playing in the, um, in the film. I'm like, oh my God, that's my movie. <laughs> that's so cool. Have you heard from any postal workers who are just like, thanks? I mean, not beyond the people I met, um, met, met, making the movie um but nobody's seen it yet so i'm really looking forward to it coming out and people seeing it and i hope you know it makes 
you know, I'm, I can only imagine how the postal workers feel after this year, um, that maybe it gives them a little more pride. I mean, I, I hope it does because they deserve it. Um, it was, it was an awesome thing. And I don't know, I, I just geek out about seeing the, the inner, inner workings of the USPS. And it was really fun for me to be able to be in those, like those factories. And so I'm, I'm excited to have people be able to be in there, you know, while watching the film. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask about a conspiracy theory that you avoid in the film, and I think it's great that you don't even give them a minute. There's a theory that there's no Santa Claus um, that I remember hearing as a kid, and you just decided not to even consider the possibility that there's no Santa Claus. I mean, you just give the straight facts. Here's Santa Claus. Here's how he works. Here's how he's involved in this program. Why did you decide to take that approach? So um, I was debating how to take the approach. The approach was always going to be there because I was not going to be part of that. I like how you put it, conspiracy theory. Um, but I, the, the decision I made um, a little late, actually, it was my second choice to do it, but I think it was the better choice, was to have children um, narrate the world. That I was going to ask children about their reality around Christmas, and that was going to be the world. And I really love that because I think the reason why... Uh, you know, you know why kids love Christmas, but I think why adults love Christmas is because it brings back that childhood magic to them. And so why not allow that one more time, you know, by watching this film? And so, yeah, I was never going to engage that because it's all about, you know, I think around Christmas time, we all have the opportunity to engage our most creative, most inspirational, most, uh, you know, our, our um, imagination. And when are we allowed to do that really as adults? And so I wanted to a, I wanted to do that myself for an entire year <laughs> to be in that world of imagination. Um, and I mean, a lot of us, especially from Movie Maker Magazine, a lot of us are in that world quite a bit, you know, in the world of our minds and our imaginations and our creativity. But I think most lay people don't have that opportunity. And that's why people grab onto Christmas. And so I wanted to engage that. Yeah, totally. Christmas and Halloween, that's it. Oh. <laughs> How did you land on this niche of making these really positive documentaries? I mean, so many docu documentary filmmakers are just covering relentlessly depressing stuff and you've gone in a really uplifting direction, but not a direction that's like sugarcoating anything. Yeah, so, um, so it was funny. I met my husband um, like when I, I was starting on my first independent film, but I had done several uh, films for the TV station I worked at. And he's always, he was like, you're such a, such a happy-go-lucky person. Why do you do such dark work? And I was like, I, I know, I don't know. And then I started having kids. And so then I started being back in the world of children again. Yeah. And I realized, like, I want to be in that place. I, you know, I, I do, but I don't want, like you said, thank you, that was a nice compliment. I don't want to be in the sugar-coated um, world. I want to be in a world that brings, you know, all of our imagination and creativity and happy feelings from childhood back. Um, and, you know, things that you could watch with your kids that also, um, I don't want to say teach them, because I don't want it to be like purely educational, but like, give them a good roadmap for how to be, you know? And so I, I think my films can do that. Like, have you enjoy enjoy it, feel inspired and, and have a good roadmap for a better life? I mean, it sounds a little pie in the sky, but I, I love that. I love inhabiting that place. And, you know, like like you well know that when you're making a film, you, you inhabit that world for two, three, sometimes 10 years, right? And it's a hard place to be in to always be in that dark world, you know, yeah. and I, I've done it and I'm sure I'll do it again, but it's much better to be in this inspiring world, you know, where you're dealing with resilient people, doing amazing things. And I just, 
like to be there. <laughs> yeah. What kind of movies were you making at the TV station? And can you say where it was? Sure. I worked at the NBC station in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I made um, three documentaries. That's how I got into documentaries. Um, on um, One was on 9-11. One was on medical marijuana, uh, you know, before it was loud. <laughs> and one was about um, the Japanese internment. And mm. then um, I did a series on um, wrongful conviction. And that was what led to my first independent documentary called Witch Hunt, which was about wrongful conviction. Um, then I made one about responses to terrorism. And then I made one about chemicals that were killing us and all of our products. And it was really that one that put it over the top for me to be like, I cannot, it was so hard to make it. It yeah. was so hard to raise the money for it. It was hard to be in that place all the time. It was hard to get it distributed. It was hard on every <laughs> level. And so then I was like, okay, when I'm done with that, I needed something lighter. Um, and that's when Bat Kid fell in my lap. When I made that, I realized, oh my God, I mean, it was funded right away. It was bought right away. Everybody who I went to interview wanted to talk about it and like was happy that I was there. So everything about it from beginning to end was easier and more gratifying. I mean, I, I shouldn't say more gratifying because probably Witch Hunt, my wrongful conviction film was one of the deepest greatest things of my life and and the people in it are still my friends and I feel really honored to have told their story but it's hard to live in the darkness always <laughs> so um yeah I would like to do things like that again but I think it has to I can't do it only <laughs> I think there might be an impression that it's easier to make like a happy movie and I imagine it's actually harder I mean because you know, when you're making a documentary about a wrongful conviction, there's an expectation that you're going to be really tough and grind the gears and that the movie's not going to be like necessarily fun. Um, but a movie like this, you have to maintain a really uplifting tone throughout and I mean, make me and my wife cry while we sit there watching it with our six month old. <laughs> I mean, how do yeah. you, is it harder or is it? I think it's all hard. <laughs> I think making movies is very hard. And I like, it's sort of like after I had my first baby and I, I realized how hard it was to be pregnant and have a baby that I had respect for every mom in the, on the planet. That's how I feel about filmmakers too. I feel like making films is so hard. Um, I think I know what you're saying in that you really want to be careful. I think in all films, you have to be careful for certain things, right? Like for wrongful conviction, you have to be careful that, like, well, I, I don't know anybody, but for me, I was very concerned because I knew the people in our film were innocent. Um, I didn't want anybody to come away from it thinking they were not innocent, right? So like that was of, of the most important thing for me. Um, in this movie, um, you don't want people to feel um, like, I don't want to say like, like cheesy, you know, you don't want people to think it's syrupy, it's cheesy, you know, and it's funny, like even with Bat Kid, um, actually Bat Kid broke me, I don't read reviews anymore, because <laughs> even though the reviews, were, the reviews were very good, but I, I like, I, I take in that one snarky sentence that everybody says for the, <laughs> for every review, um, but like, you know, it was too syrupy for some, you know, for some people, and so I think there's that line that you need to, to, to toe as as a filmmaker making these kind of films um, and 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 fiction films like you just you you gotta really have your eyes open to yeah. what's cheesy so I think it's all hard in different ways it's just you know I think rough cut screenings for me and and the notes process for me is absolutely humongous and it's gotten more so as a um, as a uh, as my career has gone on that 
I take to heart every single comment that anybody watching my films in a rough cut stage give me. Um, if, if it's said by more than one person, I address it absolutely. Um, like even, even if it's just two, because I just know it's going to be in Variety or in the Hollywood Reporter or somewhere else after. And, and so I think it's very hard because you, you lose sight, whether it's, about wrongful conviction or terrorism or about this, you lose sight of where you are and you have to just like, so I think that's the only way not to lose sight, whether it's a serious or, or happy-go-lucky film. Yeah, I mean, personally, I'm allergic to syrupy films. That's a really good way to put it, syrupy. Um, I'm allergic to those types of films and movies where I feel like I'm being manipulated. I'm just, I completely check out. And in this movie, I, it was just, there were so many times when I would see a character appear on screen and go like, oh no, I know where this is going. Excuse me, like just wiping yours <laughs> off my face. Like this is a, and I'm not a movie crier. Um, well, I just thought you did a really beautiful job of showing these amazing people as the amazing people that they are. I mean, it was it was really inspiring that this is something that just ordinary people can do and can make that much of a difference. So just thank you for making it. Oh, good. Oh, thank you so much. I think you might be a good rough cut screener for me. Um, if you're not, if you don't like syrupy. Yeah, no, I, I think I am too. I mean, when things are cheesy, like, I mean, I think a lot of it boils down to taste, you know, and it's whether, you know, hopefully we all have good taste, you know, that like, like you could tell when something's veering off, um, that it's, it's hard. You got to rein it in. <laughs> it's, it's tough. That was Dana Nachman, director of Dear Santa, an absolutely lovely film out from IFC in theaters and streaming. Highly recommend it. If you would like to take part in Operation Santa, go to USPSOperationSanta.com. If you or someone you know would like to write a letter to Santa, he of course lives at 123 Elf Road, North Pole, 8888. I'm Tim Malloy from Movie Maker Interviews. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week when Eric Stoyer has some very wonderful stuff coming up for you.